Watching Black Mirror was the first time I thought of doing something like this show. Uh, this podcast was my idea. Well, yeah, sure, but where would you be without me? And your beautiful philosophical brains. In all its glory. Oh, uh, you know, probably in some world-changing political role, making a real difference, but podcast it is. I do remember watching the show when we were roomies. And we'd always end up talking about each episode for like twice as long as the episodes actually were. <laughs> There's so much to break down in every episode. Black Mirror is just chock full of thought experiments and philosophical dilemmas. And this definitely won't be the only episode we do about it. But for now, let's focus on something reminiscent to our last episode. Last time we talked about The Matrix, and the clearest philosophical aspect of that movie is that they're not living in the real world. Whatever that may be, but those kinds of ideas come up a decent amount in Black Mirror. And specifically, I want to talk about if being in the real world even matters. Uh, what do you mean? Well, we just take it for granted, don't we? In any movie, in any show... The Matrix, The Truman Show, Black Mirror, Plato's Allegory of the Cave. We just assume that the fake reality is bad, that it's inferior to the real world, where we should actually want to be. And you're saying that's wrong? Not at all. Well then, mon ami, we're barely into this episode and you've already lost me. Philosophy is all about asking questions, right? Well, and pretentiousness, mm. but also questioning, yes, the... The art of questioning, I do believe I've been quoted as saying. So let's throw out the granted. Throw out the assumptions. Let's decide for ourselves. Ooh, so liberating. Philosophy can set you free. We're adults. We can do whatever we want. Alright, let's not get too crazy now. I've already ordered a ball pit for my apartment. <laughs> ball pit. It's non-refundable. Ugh, you can't be liberated and free with words like non-refundable. <laughs> so, so how can we be liberated and free? How indeed. Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge Cause we got our game I like With any bitty Vici and mustachio Nietzsche And we'll never miss the marks Cause I'm awesome, he's heathen And this is our podcast show Now that we're back from that beautiful theme song mm. Listeners, in case you were wondering Our lovely theme song is an original work Written, composed, and performed by our very own, very talented Wholesome. No, thank you, thank you. But I seem not to be very talented in following your train of thought. First, you said the real world isn't where we want to be. Hang on, hang on. We have to introduce the show for any of our first-time listeners. First-timer? We've got a dedicated following, heathen. Do we have groupies? Well, I haven't seen any tattoos of our cover art, but you never know. We love each and every one of you listening to us right now. Especially you. You know who you are. Yes, we love our listeners, but you don't have to flirt with them, man. Jealous? <laughs> Gross. But welcome to our show, everyone. <laughs> the podcast where we take boring, dusty, academic philosophy and bring it to life by relating it to us through not-so-boring pop culture. Or at least we try to. But we're the only show of this kind. Reviving the relevance of philosophy. We're your hosts, Heathen. And I'm Wholesome. So I was saying I'm confused, and you were saying some abstract mumbo-jumbo about liberty and reality. Ah, yes. So we always take it for granted that true reality is great, and that's where we want to live. But it doesn't have to be? Good point. That's not my point. I'm trying to clarify what you're saying. Oh. <laughs> In that case, yeah. All I want to do is ask why. Why is reality better than an alternative? Or is it? That's where we come to today's episodes of Black Mirror. 
There's an episode from season two of the show that people don't really talk about too much, but it's super fascinating and in classic Black Mirror fashion, also super creepy. Ooh, which one? It's titled Be Right Back. Oh, the one where the guy is returning. Ah, Don't spoil it like that, dude. Tell the whole story. Okay, okay. This episode starts off with a couple, Martha and Ash, moving to the countryside to a charming little farmhouse. Martha is an artist, and we don't know what Ash does professionally, but we get the impression that he's pretty addicted to social media. Okay, maybe we don't need it to be quite that detailed either. No, 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 it's important. This adorable young couple moves to the countryside, but the husband dies very unexpectedly. They were super young and healthy, and it's shocked to everyone, of course. We can only imagine how devastated the wife is. Then, without her knowing about it, a friend signs Martha up for this new service that collects all of someone's social media posts and interactions, their Facebook, their Twitter, and analyzes them to recreate a dead person's personality patterns. And it works particularly well for Ash because he was such a heavy user of social media. So the program analyzes how he responded to different people and different situations and spoofs his personality. Martha thinks this is super creepy and isn't into it, but the poor widow soon learns that she's pregnant and Mm. in a moment of overwhelming grief, she starts messaging this fake version of her husband's personality. Then she uploads all the videos and voice recordings she has of him and the program recreates Ash's voice patterns and is able to call her and it's just like she's talking to her husband on the phone. See, that's the beauty of Black Mirror. It's not tech that's available or quite realistic for us right now, but... It's not entirely far-fetched either. Mm. We already have programs that write entire articles for us after scouring some source material. We have programs that can write brand new stuff, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. So it's not crazy to, in some future, imagine using someone's detailed social media posts to emulate their personality. No, totally, man. This this fake Ash responds to certain questions by cracking jokes and understands when the real husband would have been serious and what he would have and when he would have been silly and all of that. Eventually, the show takes it even further, and the program gets implanted into a fake body. I think I think we can skip the fake body for now. That goes a bit further into suspension of disbelief. So let's focus on just this program that is a simulated personality. Yeah, sure works for me. Uh, At first, Martha uses the program almost as an enhanced sort of therapy. She never got to tell her husband that he was going to be a father, so she tells the digital Ash that. She never got to say bye or some last words to her husband. No closure. So she gets that. It, It brings her out of her shell of depression. She starts cooking and eating and leaving the home and working on some of her work projects. It sounds like it really, truly helps her. Who hasn't wanted to talk to a loved one that wasn't there for whatever reason, be it death, distance, breakup, anything? I mean, I remember after a breakup, you advised me to write letters. Not to actually send them, but to write letters and get some of my thoughts out as a therapeutic release. (laughs) You actually listen to my advice? Absolutely, man. And it really helped. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, dude. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm glad I could have been helpful. Um, and you know, that's, that's exactly what Martha was doing at first. Uh, but then, predictably, she grows reliant on the program. She starts canceling plans with her friends and family so she can spend more time with her fake husband. It's not nefarious. It's not like the program is taking over her life. It's 
pretty clear about being a program most of the time, but it moves <laughs> from a form of therapy to treating the program like it's really him. And that's when all the problems emerge. Oh, totally. Since it's a personality based off his public posts, it can't be him exactly. Ash never posted about certain things like being afraid or when the two of them would fight or anything related to physical intimacy, you know? And eventually, when the wife and the program get into an argument and she tells him to shut up, she gets upset when he actually does shut up because that's not how Ash or any real person would react. <laughs> She's always known, but she specifically realizes at that moment that this is not truly Ash because just like any normal person would do, he, he continues talking and they would argue it out or they would they would hash it out somehow. In the end, she can't handle it and locks him in the attic. Yeah, and there's actually some great little uh, tidbits in there for eagle-eyed and specifically in this case, bunny-eared viewers. What'd you call my ears? <laughs> really cute. At the beginning of the episode, <laughs> Ash mentions how his mother hid pictures of his brother away in the attic. I think after the brother died. Here, I got a clip of it here. When I came down the next morning... All Jack's photos were gone from that wall. She put them in the attic. That's how she dealt with stuff. And then when Dad died, up went his photos. And she just left this one here. Her only boy giving her a fake smile. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, dude. Oh, that's a great catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what she does by the end. Even better, this ash is almost just that. A picture. A timestamp. That can be looked upon in the attic from time to time when you're feeling nostalgic. At one point she says, you're just a few ripples of you. There's no history to you. You're just a performance of stuff that he performed. So that's where we get to the real deep bits. This program, this digital version of Ash constructed from what he left behind, is that bad? If so, is it bad in and of itself or because of our usage? There's obviously a problem because the program isn't a perfect copy of her husband, but what if it was? Would that change the badness factor of it? What is bad anyways? What does that word mean? I know Michael Jackson considered himself quite bad, but he never defined the term, and that has left me forever confused. While I do love your initiative and your King of Pop reference, uh, if we were real <laughs> philosophers, we could write an entire treatise or five about bad and what it means. But since we're trying to make philosophy not so boring, let's skip past that for now. I was just trying to annoy you anyways. You really didn't take the bait there. I mean, I mean, we could always make this into some sort of extended episode about virtue. No, no, no. I, I take it back. Black Mirror is exciting. I have a feeling your lecture would be less so. I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. Not important. I'll edit it out. But okay. Is relying on a fake ash bad? Or, I mean, think of it personally. With a personal loss, Talking to a digital version of your loved one is not exactly living in reality, but does that make it bad? And if so, why? What about it? I mean, the, the psychology side of me definitely sees the therapeutic benefits, and we talked about how it was beneficial for Martha at first, but then it becomes a negative for her. Pretty big hindrance. But is that the object's fault or our fault as the user? Um, I mean, like, morphine. Morphine is good. Misuse of it is bad. I mean, good design should take that into account, though. But uh, I feel like you can make the same argument of so many things. Something like as basic as a knife, you know? Knives are good. Misuse of them is bad. Is that a design issue or a use issue? <laughs> That's a good point. I'm sure there's a middle ground answer, but it's a good way of bringing us back to the question. This digital consciousness isn't 
real per se, but it is helpful to some degree. That must mean unreality isn't necessarily bad. And by unreality, you're meaning that reality isn't necessarily always good. Oof, I mean, I, I guess so. Actually, let's go, let's go back a minute. I really like my morphine example. That's sort of another case of it, maybe. <laughs> in, I mean, in reality, our bodies experience pain due to some reason. The pain is a natural response to some sort of injury or illness and morphine, painkillers, anesthetics, what have you, all of those mask that reality, don't they? I mean, I'm no doctor, but yeah, maybe you could say that's a version of fake reality. It kind of gets you thinking that, I don't know, maybe, just maybe reality isn't the end-all be-all. But I mean, in this case, there are some clear issues with the fake version. I mean, for one, he goes right into that uncanny, uncanny valley area we talked about last episode just not quite there in a way that totally freaks you out yeah i mean yes but let's put aside those smaller issues because yeah there are some and like you mentioned earlier he there are gaps right whatever he didn't talk about publicly we can't fill that in but let's put aside those issues because we don't want to miss the bigger concept yeah okay even if the fake ash was a perfectly indistinguishable replica the philosophical question of it is I mean, of is reality best, that still stands. All right, I've got another Black Mirror episode I want to bring in. All right, what you got? An episode from season three this time, San Junipero. Yes, San Junipero, that is a crowd favorite. Oh, it was just visually stunning. And who doesn't love music from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s all in an hour block? So, the story. Give us an overview. <clears throat> Shy and sheltered new girl, Yorkie, is walking around the hip downtown clubs on a Saturday night. Looks pretty 80s from, you know, what I know of the 80s. Fair. And she's clearly timid, kind of out of place, but she's mostly people watching. As I love to do. She meets super extrovert girl Kelly, who's drinking, dancing, and just generally partying it up. As I love to do. <laughs> the two of them are both tourists in San Junipero, become friends, and bada bing, bada boom, they become lovers. I feel like you skipped over some details. Well, you can go rewatch it yourself for the smutty details, you perv. Hey, check the name, buddy. I'm wholesome. Hell a lot of something. That's the best you could come up with. So, Yorkie and Kelly have a little thing going on, <laughs> but they only meet up on Saturday nights, and there's something about time being up at midnight. I imagine that's when they all turn back into pumpkins. Yeah, probably, but, you know, it's kept purposely and ambiguous we the viewer don't exactly know what's going on one week yorkie can't find kelly and so she goes decade hopping she checks the 80s no kelly to be found 90s no kelly in sight finally she finds her in the 2000s and we get the top dance hits for each decade and a few songs that cleverly hint at what's really going on darn clever writers and as their relationship builds kelly reveals that she was married for a long time but her husband didn't stick around that sucks. But man, <laughs> Kelly looks so young, late 20s at the most. How long could she have possibly been married? Uh, who's to say? But unfortunately, it didn't last, and she's clearly a party girl who's here to drown her pain in fleeting pleasure. Aren't we all? You know, sometimes I really worry about you. Anyway, so what's the classic Black Mirror twist? Decade hopping sounds pretty cool. Are they time travelers? I, that's our first clue that all is not normal, but yeah, it's not quite it. We see Kelly punch a mirror, leaving a big old circular fist-sized crack, but when she looks back up, the mirror is as flawless as it used to be. Dude, mirrors are so philosophical. We talked about them in the Matrix episode, and here they are again. 
Then we learn that 80 to 85% of the people in San Junipero are full-timers. Meaning what exactly? Meaning they're dead people. I see dead people. They're (laughs) caught. Their consciousnesses living out in a digital virtual playground. Mirror Puncher Kelly reveals that she only has a few months left to live. Her and Yorkie are tourists in town, meaning they're alive out in the real world, versus the full time residents of San Junipero who have died in the real world. But Kelly is elderly and sick. Yorkie asks her if she will stay full time in San Junipero after her death, and Kelly says no. But why not? She clearly has such a great time in this digital world. It turns out her husband, Richard, died a few years ago, and when she said he didn't stick around, she meant he chose not to leave his consciousness behind in San Junipero. But she does want to meet Yorkie in real life. And Yorkie says if they met on the outside, as in in real life, that no one could possibly like her. And clearly she doesn't want anyone to see her. Turns out the true story is that though both are in their mid-twenties in San Junipero, in the real world... Kelly is sick and elderly, and Yorkie is full-body paralyzed ever since a car crash 40 years ago. So in this episode, it's even more clearly not reality. Living a fake life in a program is super similar to the Matrix. Actually, the way you get into the program is by placing an electrode on your temple, which it's just like jacking into the Matrix. But we see that there's a clear therapeutic use. Shy Yorkie mentioned early on that she has never been in a relationship and never done a lot of normal things, like dance. It's because she's completely paralyzed, and if it wasn't for this fake world, she'd be living out in an existence, trapped in her body. So, immediately, we can establish that reality isn't necessarily the best for everyone in every situation. Oh, totally. Yeah, Kelly mentions that the program is also an immersive nostalgia therapy that brings you back to a world of memories, and that it helps with Alzheimer's. And while they're together in the program, Yorkie is trying to convince Kelly to stay, and she says... It's real. This is real. Truth is, Yorkie has nothing in the real world, and in San Junipero, she can experience everything. She can live a normal life. Is it fair or good to deny her that? It's a great question. Even so, I've, I've got a big issue with this episode. Kelly and her husband were married for 49 years, and heartbreakingly, they lost a 39 year old daughter. When Kelly's husband was dying, he had the option of uploading to San Junipero, but he said, How can I? When she missed out, how can I? Their daughter never had the chance to upload, so he didn't want to, the husband. And that's also Kelly's reasoning for not wanting to stay in San Junipero with Yorkie. Her husband and daughter aren't there. And the episode ends with us thinking Kelly just dies. But then during the end credits, we see Kelly and Yorkie hanging out in San Junipero together. Having both died in real life. They just skipped the dilemma and gave us a happy ending. Well, I remember after talking about her husband, Kelly said that, well, she says, I wish I could believe he's with her now, that they're together now, but I don't. I believe they're nowhere. They're gone. So she clearly didn't believe in an afterlife. So is it, is it as like one-sided for her to upload? I mean, what's the gain in the other option? And I realize this isn't a realistic dilemma for any of us, but we're talking about all this to get to the underlying point of, is real reality always where we should want to be? And that's the thing. If she doesn't believe in an afterlife, 
what's the problem? Your husband isn't going to be mad, promise. It seems to be around a vague sense of it's not right. But I think there was a missed opportunity here for a better dilemma. Her options here are either go quietly into the void on some principle, or hang out in San Junipero forever as long as you want. Getting her family back is not in the options. Yeah, yeah, that does seem like a particularly easy choice here. Especially since you can opt out at any time, like you said. Most of the difficult choices the system accounts for quite politely, it seems. Yeah, if the writers wanted to leave us with a tougher choice, then they should have written that uh, Kelly believed in an afterlife. Then she would have this massively difficult choice of maybe see my husband and child again, or spend a guaranteed eternity with this new love interest. Which, to me, it's then a pretty easy choice. Family. What? What? (laughs) It doesn't seem like a realistic choice to pick Yorkie, who she's known for a couple of weeks, over her husband, who she knew for 49 years. It's like Titanic all over again. We all know Jack and Rose, blah, 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 but everyone forgets that they were together for all of a day or two, whereas Rose got married and had a whole big family after. But then when she goes to heaven, she's with Jack instead of her husband. You know, all I hear is that you're a hater of Jack. Why? Why? Why do you hate Leonardo DiCaprio? I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I got a little bit passionate there. I'm just saying (laughs) it sucks to be the husband in both of these cases. Remember Diogenes? Oh, yes. The amazing troll of a philosopher from ancient Greece. So they once asked Diogenes what he would like to happen to his body after he died. He responded that they should throw him over the city walls, but also leave him leave a spear for him. They said, but Diogenes, you'll be dead. What are you going to do with the spear? To which he said, exactly, I'll be dead, so what do I care what happens to the body? In other words, it doesn't suck for the husbands. (laughs) If they're too dead to realize they're kind of getting screwed, then does it really matter? Hmm. I mean, she gets a guaranteed eternity, she being Kelly here. She gets a guaranteed eternity in a place custom made to be better than Earth. With a new love interest, eternal youth, the whole shebang. Choice couldn't be more obvious. Okay. Agree to disagree. For now. We'll be coming back to this, maybe, eventually, but let's get back to the core concept of this whole thing. In both these episodes, there's an element of what is real, and there's an element of what mimics reality, but is artificial. It's kind of like what Jean Baudrillard was talking about in his book Simulation and Simulacra. We mentioned that one in our Matrix episode. And in both these episodes, these Black Mirror episodes, we're talking about simulacra, or imitations of something. A likeness, but not the original thing. So again, put aside the programming flaws in both the fake versions of Ash and in San Junipero. We're, we're not worried about that. We're looking at the fact that both are imitations of real life. One is an imitation person or personality, and the other is an entire imitation world. And our question is if the imitation stuff is bad. Is it? Is it as in, is that the question, or is it as in, is it bad? Yes. What? How many questions was in that question? Well, a wise man once told me that philosophy is the art of questioning. And then you told me the same thing much, much later. Good to see my time machine worked. What? Enough questions. Instead, I offer (laughs) an interesting note. Did you notice that both these famously good episodes had the same writer? Did they now? A certain Charlie Brooker. (laughs) That makes sense. He used the same trick twice. What trick? (laughs) Well, in the Be Right Back episode, he foreshadowed the ending with the line about the attic. 
In San Junipero, he foreshadows the ending when the nerdy guy tries to flirt with Yorkie and tells her that the arcade game she was playing, Bubble Bobble, was one of the first games to have a differing ending if you have two players. Hey! You're good at this. It's uh, got different endings, depending on if you're in one or two player. Uh-huh. It was kind of the first game to do that. Oh, damn it. Oh, wait, hold... That's awesome. Uh, I'm a bit frustrated. I did not even catch that. Okay. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay, I see it, I see it. Yeah, I find both episodes having the same writer to be especially interesting, since I feel like both episodes kind of took the opposite perspective on whether this simul cracker thing, whatever, was good or bad. <laughs> that is, uh, that's a good point, yeah. Sounds like he had his cake and ate it too. We mentioned Robert Nozick's experience machine last episode, and that works perfectly well with what we're discussing today too, actually. Can you recap that one for us? Oh, yes, yes, I remember, I Totally can. Uh, it's a machine that helps you level up faster through more experience points, like Goku's hyperbolic time chamber or rare candies and Pokemon. Mm, think less pop culture nerd and more philosophy nerd. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Th this was the guy who could either lead an average real life as a boring cubicle worker guy or could go on to be a rock star in a generated reality in which he would be completely unaware that he was in said generated reality. It'd be like knowing the Matrix is not real, then actively choosing to live in it anyways because it's a cush life. Blue pill for life. Mm, I hear that's what keeps Bob's wife happy. Good for Bob. All things are possible in the Matrix. With the caveat that nothing is real. And that was the idea behind the experience machine, if I remember correctly. So with the choice between a life that is amazing and incredible on the one hand and reality on the other, what should you do? And there we go. Another unanswered question. Philosophy strikes again. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so yes, so that's the experience machine. And then there's another similar thought experiment called brain in a vat, which you can probably guess where I'm going, but let me read a little story to you. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> okay. ASMR. Ever since the accident... Brian had lived in a vat. His body was crushed, but quick work by the surgeons had managed to salvage his brain. This procedure was now carried out whenever possible, so that the brain could be put back into a body once a suitable donor had been found. But because fewer brains than bodies terminally fail, the waiting list for new bodies had got intolerably long. To destroy the brains, however, was deemed ethically unacceptable. The solution came in the form of a remarkable supercomputer. Through electrodes attached to the brain, the computer could feed the brain stimuli, which give it the illusion that it was a living body inhabiting the real world. In Brian's case, that meant he woke up one day in a hospital bed to be told about the accident and the successful body transplant. He then went on to live a normal life. All the time, however, he was really no more than his old brain kept alive in a vat wired up to a computer. Brian had no more or less reason to think he was living in the real world than you or I. How could he, or we, ever know differently? <laughs> that brain in the jar example is almost verbatim the idea behind the San Junipero episode. I mean, the TV series upload is even more verbatim, but we're covering plenty of ground here today, so that's going to wait until it's popular enough for us to cover. <laughs> and... 
little bit less verbatim, but equal in representation. Be right back would be the experience machine, assuming the average person would select reality over a better but unreal experience. So same writer, different choices. It, am I missing something? What, what's different in his two stories and these two thought experiments where we get two totally different endings? How come in one story, fake but objectively better thing gets locked in the attic, but in the other episode, fake but objectively better reality is an 80s fever dream victory? It's certainly not my place to speak to what the writer is intending, but I will anyway. <laughs> I would have it no other way. I don't know that it's a question of which is better or correct, like you're taking it. I I really enjoy it because it allows us to explore both options, really. In Be Right Back, the fake part is abandoned, like you said. And in San Junipero, we end up seeing Kelly and Yorkie both choosing to continue living in the fake reality. They're choosing the experience machine. So have we as a people kind of romanticized reality like if we're seeing that these alternatives aren't all that bad but we still have that gut feeling like yeah yeah all this philosophy mumbo jumbo is real great and all but at the end of the day i still want to be in a real reality if if we still have this (laughs) instinctive reaction is it because we've romanticized real reality that the word real is quickly losing any sense of meaning to me that just goes to show how flimsy of a concept it is to begin with (laughs) Ugh, it just it just makes me want to talk about The Matrix all over again. We can't make every episode about The Matrix. But it has everything. No. I want answers. Or at least better questions. Well, okay. Um, what do the lead characters do differently in each story? What, what choices did they make that could have led to a different resolution? Oh, now we're talking. I'd say it probably ends up being more the idea of moving on than a philosophical idea. Martha can't move on from Ash and be right back, but Kelly can move on from her family in San Junipero. Maybe that's what the writer's intending. I don't know. The answers <laughs> to most philosophical questions, we, we have to figure out for ourselves. Like any good philosopher, Black Mirror brings us different perspectives and ideas, but you gotta also bring that human element into the mix. Which is cool and all, but I, as a stone-cold philosopher... I want just the dilemma. I want to constantly be in pain. We don't need to know what you're into. Now is a great time to just completely switch topics without a segue. Join (laughs) us next time as we discuss the philosophy behind Marvel's Civil War. The Civil War was not marvelous. Oh, you dull... Marvel Comics, the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man, X-Men, Captain America, the Hulk. We're going to talk about their Civil War, a massive philosophical difference that split all the superheroes you know you know and love into two groups. Tune in next time to find out what happens. You're telling me to tune in? Well, I hope you're there, because otherwise this just becomes Wholesome's rant about comic books. Anyway, we're going to go now. See you next time. and Heathen do not endorse creating a carbon copy of your spouse based entirely off their social media personality. We have both, however, collectively agreed that we would order a carbon copy of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He seems to have a pretty good social media personality and could easily cradle us in his arms until we drifted off to a beautiful and peaceful sleep. Tell us what social media personality you'd like implanted into a soulless husk at wholesomeandheathen.com.